I'm excited to jump into a new book of the Bible in a new year. I suppose that's what most churches are doing right now. They're starting a new book. I don't think anyone's picking up where they left off. Um, I'm a little bit of a New Year's dork. So if you've ever been here on New Year's, typically I spend the first week talking about resolutions. Not really going to do that today. I'm going to try to throw you a curveball and do something a little bit different as we start this new book. Because I think... The beginning of the year is a great time to consider better directions, and before we kick things off, when we talk through the book of Acts, it's probably important that I explain that part of what our leadership does whenever we retreat together, and I'm talking about our pastoral leadership, whether we retreat or we spend lunch together or we have a business meeting or a prayer meeting or a how are you doing kind of meeting, part of what we do is we discern collectively on the next steps for this church. How do we carry legacy forward? It requires good discernment. You can't just kind of stand back and take a quick look at it and, and give your gut guess. There's a lot of prayer and thoughtfulness that goes into it, even how we handle Sunday mornings, this time right here. And Legacy believes as a church that God speaks to his people and a broken world clearly through his Bible by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that his word is perfect without error. And we also believe that it's effective to equip us for a good life of enjoying Jesus. We believe that it's timely. We believe that it's always appropriate. We, we believe that when God speaks to us, he's not out of sync with a broken world, but his very words are timely and appropriate for where we're at. That's important for us, right? I mean, you've had friends in the past, I know you have, that they always seem to have say, they, they seem to say the right things at the right time. They're timely. And what they say is wise. It's almost like you want to write it down. You, you long to hear what they have to say because it always feels like it's the right thing at the right time. God's word has this timeliness. He's always moving with us. Now, here's the thing. Certainly, some parts of the Bible, whenever you read the Bible, doesn't feel like it has that timeliness. It, it feels maybe not out of sync, but just kind of good. It feels, you, you've done that. You've gone through Bible reading plans, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute, what a Bible reading plan can look like for you this year. Um, but you've read it to where you thought, well, that doesn't really meet my needs today, but it's good. I'm not mad at the passage. It's just that it's Leviticus 3, and that's just not where I'm at right now, right? All of the Bible, and we say this from time to time, all of the Bible is inspired but not all of the Bible is equally inspiring in every moment. Sometimes some passages feel more appropriate, more inspiring, more like they fit that season for some reason. And this is why it requires a lot of discernment for us as pastors to know where to move us as a church. But we're also an expositional church in how we handle the scriptures. And if you're not familiar with that word, it's a nerd word that means that we teach through the Bible in such a way that we look at the original meaning, exposition, to exposit a passage. It means what is the original meaning of the original text to the original audience from the original, um, I guess, intent of the author. Because it's only when you know that that you know how it really matters today. For the, for the Bible to really drive the bus and hold all the weight for us today, we have to know what it originally meant, right? So we're an ex expository church, an expositional church. And we believe that one of the most effective ways to expositionally teach is to move through the Bible progressively. 
And it doesn't mean we take a lot of time through every book. We just did the book of Exodus last year, and I think we, we moved through it at about 16 or 19 weeks. We could have spent several years in that book. We flew through it pretty quick. I mean, there were some, some Sundays we, we hit like four chapters. But then when we went through the book of John, it took us 54 weeks. It took us more than a year to get through the book of John. But the goal is always the same. We want you to be a Bible-confident people, certain in what the Word of God says. We want you to be resolved in what the Bible says about God as he self-discloses himself, what the Bible says about the gospel and how Jesus is the centerpiece of the gospel and what that means for you as you live and work and play in creation. We, we really do believe that that is our biggest heartbeat for you. And Psalm 119 says that whenever you are able to hide that word in your heart, be able to take it and burn it and bury it in your heart, that it will help you. You'll enjoy God's glory. You'll beat sin down. You'll put it down in your life. This is why we're doubling down this year on biblical literacy by moving through the Bible together as a people. Both as Sundays, which we will on Sunday mornings as we move through the book of Acts, and we're going to go pretty systematically. We're not going to take the whole year, but we're going to take enough time to really do a good job with this book because it is appropriate, and we'll talk about that. But we also want you to read the Bible throughout the week as we can all move through it together. And so one of the big, it's probably the only announcement we have, is that we would like to submit to you reading through the Bible this year. And listen, I know that everybody reads at different paces. Some of you, you could crank down and knock out nine chapters and be just fine. Some of you are more of a one-chapter type of a reader. Some of you like to journal. Some of you hate journaling. Some of you like to pray through the scriptures. I know that there are different styles and fashions in which we sit at the feet of Jesus and consume God's word to us. So the best thing that we could think of as a leadership team is to come up with the CBR Journal, which is an app you can get. Um, I mean, they have a website too if you really wanted to do that. But you could get it on Google Play and and the uh, Apple App Store. And it is a Bible plan where you could read two chapters a day or you could jump into a plan where you read four chapters a day. Um, and you don't, you don't totally read the whole Bible in one year. You read most of it in one year. But this is the best part about this plan, and, and then this will be the last I say about it today. We are going to talk about it for the next several weeks as well. But one of the things that if you've ever read through the entire Bible in a year, and I, and I really submit that you try that if you've never tried that before, to consume the Bible in one year, it takes about 15 or 20 minutes a day if you do decide to do that, and it's very rewarding. If you do do that, sometimes you can get behind. We just get behind, right? Two, three, four, 12 days, we can get behind. And sometimes there's this oppressive amount of passages waiting to greet us as we open up the Bible again. And it can be so overwhelming. We just shut the Bible and don't do it anymore. That's why most Bible diets or Bible reading plans stop working for people. Is because if you just trip and you get a little bit behind, it feels so hard to get back. And then when you have to speed read to catch up, you're not really absorbing very much. So the way that this app works or this plan works is that if you miss a day, you miss the day. You just pick up where you, where, where you are in the year. So you don't go back and you don't make up scriptures that you have missed. You just, that, that way everybody's moving at the same pace through the same scriptures. So I would love to just get it in your head that that could possibly be a goal this year that changes your life. 
that changes your life. If you read the Bible 50% more this year, it will change your life. If you read the Bible all the way through this year, it will change your life. It'll change your life. So I just want you to consider that. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that means for us as a church. Because we do believe that the Word of God is just like a lamp that lights up our feet, that lights up our path, as David says in Psalm 119, to help us navigate tough years like this year. Help us navigate difficult seasons. We want your biblical literacy and confidence, certainty to grow. Even to the point, hear me clearly, that you would fact check me when I'm up here preaching to you. Totally invited. I think it's healthy. That when me or Jake or Sean or anyone else comes up here and we preach the word of God, that you feel confident enough to say, I love Luke. I think he sounds right. I'm going to go back and see about it. I'm going to line it up with whatever the word of God says. Because listen, we're not perfect. We're not the Holy Spirit. It's important that you take the word of God and you line it up against our sermons and you see if we are telling you the truth. We actually find that this is a noble thing to do in the book of Acts, in the 17th chapter, 11th verse. We'll put it up on the screen because this isn't what we're going to be at today. It says, now these Jews, these are Berean Jews, by the way, they're in Berea. These Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So these Bereans are interesting because they were eager to receive and they were eager to examine. They loved Paul, trusted Paul, but they were going to verify at the same time. I think this is a good posture. It's a noble posture. It's one that I want you to have. I think I'm preaching the truth up here. I wouldn't come up here and do this if I didn't, but it's on you to make sure that I am. I have convictions, solid beliefs built from the teachings that I have received over the last 25 years, sitting at the feet of what I consider to be some of the greatest teachers in the history of mankind, both living and dead. I have. And yet it was still upon me to, in these words, see if these things are so. And it's been in my own devotion, sitting at the feet of Jesus, in my own moments of commitment that I've looked over the word and I've realized that it is true and their conviction becomes my conviction. What was true for them and valuable to them becomes very valuable to me. Because this is why it matters. Life will throw some very hard pitches at you. And if you're only leaning on my handcrafted 33-minute sermons to get you through those times, you won't make it. It won't hold you together. But if you build those convictions in your own moments, sitting at the feet of Jesus, you'll get through. You have to... You have to you have to examine it. You can't just be eager to receive it. You've got to be eager to examine it. And, and this is one reason I believe that the book of Acts is going to be so helpful for us as we move through it. I think it's timely. I think it's timely in how it's going to give you and me a deeper conviction, deeper confidence, deeper resolve, and a deeper joy. I think it's important. I'll show you why. Let's read just the first five verses. And this is going to be in Acts 1. Verses 1 through 5, and that's all we're going to do today. It's a little bit of a different sermon whenever you introduce something like this, but this is the word of the Lord for us today that is going to be helpful. And Luke, the author, says this, in the first book, O Theophilus, and first book is the gospel of Luke, it's the book of Luke, in the first book, O Theophilus, 
I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, because we're an expositional church, you have to ask yourself why he's even writing this. Why? I mean, Acts is, Acts is a pretty solid book. Why did, he, why did he take the time to sit down and write it out? Has to be a reason. He actually gives it. The why is the intro to his first book in the book of Luke. Right, So if you don't have to flip there unless you're quick and you want to, but in the very first five verses of Luke, he tells us why he's doing both that gospel and the book of Acts. We get the reason for it. He says this in the beginning of Luke, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And here's the reason. That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. We got this guy, Theophilus. We don't really know who he was, by the way. Some people, there's, there's a couple big theories, the two big ones. You could choose which one you like. It doesn't matter to me which one. One is that Theophilus, it just means lover of God. That's what the name means. It could be a fill-in um, label for all Christians, you and me, people who love God. Most people probably slide towards believing it was a Roman official who had the means to pay Luke to gather up um, uh, this historical narrative of the life of Jesus and the acts of the Holy Spirit, right? But whoever it is, if it is a person, we find out that they have learned and have taught. They have had some things taught to them, but he's not certain. So Luke is doing this so that he may be certain, competent, reliable, resolved in what he has heard. Certain that Jesus is the hero of the gospel and certain that the Holy Spirit is building the church. You see, the book of Acts is not a book of church history. It's not. It's a history of the church's mission and the move of the Holy Spirit. And as we read through the book of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about or looking at what God used to do through his Holy Spirit. He's still doing it. God is still doing the things that we're going to be reading about. Currently, as of today, 19 of the 20 countries where we see the biggest explosion of the gospel and the most rapid expansion of the church, 19 out of 20 are in Africa and Asia. That's pretty interesting because here in Knoxville, it feels a little bit stagnant. It feels like maybe it's even moving backwards depending on who you read and who you listen to. Don't be fooled. That's not what God is doing in the world. The gospel's exploding. Churches are being planted at a maddening rate, where whenever you talk to people in Asia, talk to people in Africa, it's not the money that they're looking for from America, it is training. They're trying to train up as many people as they possibly can. Man, I pray that that happens here. I pray, and I know you do too, and I hope that we continue to pray that there is a revival in the church in the deep of the Appalachian South, and then a spiritual awakening with our people. That's what I want. 
Now, like Theophilus, we need this book. We need the book of Acts for certainty. Many in the church are losing their certainty, losing their confidence, losing their joy in Jesus and his church. So I'm going to give you a term, and it's a, it's a viciously controversial term. It's deconstruction. Some of you have been hearing it a lot. It's now making it into the mainstream. I get it. Wise people around me and our leadership have wisely warned me about how I use this nuclear term, and they're right, and I'm going to be very careful. But to deconstruct is to step out of firmly held beliefs, convictions, values, pivoting and looking at those and questioning them hard, being very critical of what we've just borrowed over the years to see if it really makes sense for us, disassembling everything that they've ever known. Some return to a deeper confidence because they went through that process. Some never come back. They would call that not just deconstruction, but deconverting, right? Deconverting. Me and Sean were talking about this a little bit this morning. Deconverting, deconstruction, it's super viral. It's not very new. And John talked about it in 1 John 2. He says, they went out from us. They, meaning the person next to you, the person that's in your missional community, the person who's got their kids back there, or who is watching your kids back there. They, the people that you love, the people you high-five, the people that write checks to Legacy Church, the people that are watching online right now. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that they are not of us. It's become fashionable to publicly deconstruct and showcase it on social media with some posed image looking off into a landscape with some manifesto sitting underneath it. I'm seeing a lot of it now. A lot of it. The post describes someone's new season of being authentic and honest Using words like bravery and courage and new discovery and adventure, it all looks very renegade, looks very edgy, right? And maybe, maybe they are celebrating honesty. Maybe they did never enjoy the church. Maybe they never enjoyed sitting in front of the Bible or trying to read it through a year. Maybe they never enjoyed prayer. Maybe they never enjoyed... Coming in, in, in gathering to something like this or being in a living room, they, sure, they certainly have lost confidence in it. And the comments under a post like that will be full of encouraging emojis, very few thoughtful questions to push back, but a lot of encouragement, a lot of celebration over this new authentic season in this person's life. And this is happening at a much faster rate now than we have recollection of. The millennial generation is leading the charge into deconstruction. I would say the Generation Z is probably quick on its tail and maybe blending into one big demographic as far as that's concerned. But we see this with high schoolers all the time, right? High schoolers that are brought up in the church, they go off to college and they deconstruct because they find themselves in the company of professors and peers with these new unfamiliar ideologies that they don't know what to do with, and it turns out that they are actually functioning on borrowed faith from their parents or from their youth pastor or from the safer environment that they used to be in before they found themselves where they're at right now. This is what happened to me. I wasn't prepared. I was not prepared to contend with all the double and triple PhDs and their published opinions from the impressive offices at the impressive university. I deconstructed in 1994. I, I lost confidence, certainty in what God was doing, or if there even was a God. I lost resolve. 
I had no joy. And no, youth groups do not prevent this. I came from a slam dunk youth group. At some point, everybody's faith will be pushed to the very brink. That happens when we suffer too, right? Your faith will get pushed to the very brink. Confidence comes by testing, but testing can only come by conflict. And conflict is difficult, but it's also a laboratory for growth and conviction. This is how we dig the deep pylons of a better foundation, a robust faith that can hold the battering attack of different ideologies and doubts. Pastors are deconstructing. Worship leaders are deconstructing. Authors are deconstructing. So many are hitting walls, and then they just announce publicly, done, see ya. I'm off to my new authentic stage of life. But I think most people that are deconstructing are doing it silently. They're doing it silently. They're not posting some manifesto online. And to be fair, it's important to mention people are deconstructing from different doctrines as well. They're not just deconverting from Christianity entirely. They might still believe in God, but they're done with heterosexual monogamous marriage or done with the wise stewardship of finances towards the kingdom. They're done with all kinds of things. And the number one thing that they are done with when it comes to historical Christianity, the number one thing that we are finding that we can measure that people are deconstructing from is participation and commitment to the local church for whatever reason. Maybe they were damaged in the past. Maybe something traumatic happened to them. Maybe they're bored. Maybe they struggle with loneliness. Maybe they're just convinced that they're really busy. Hey, I don't know, man. I mean, I love God and all. We're just really busy right now. That happens. I think the pandemic, as it swept through, it showed us quite a few things. And it showed that after a lifetime, for many people, after a lifetime of church, not being a people, but church becoming a time and a place, just the thing you go to at that time of the week, once that was removed, the time and the place, because of the pandemic, they realized that their life wasn't far off from what it used to be and really suffer any damage from it. So why go back? Why be committed? I mean, if you ever thought to yourself or had friends that thought to themselves, wow, it's been six months since I've been around the people of God, since I've connected either on the phone, through Zoom, and the person of, in, in the physical context of people, it's been six months. It's been 16 months, and I can't really tell any difference in my life. I mean, I love God still. But I could catch a sermon on Spotify. Let's be honest. People are watching me right now. It's going to be archived. People can go back anytime and watch it. That's just where we're at as a society. Deconstruction is here. People are abstaining from community. Churches are shutting down. I was telling someone this morning, four of the last six possible facilities for legacy that I've looked at just in the last two months, four out of the last six, our church is shutting down, right? So let me be very careful when I say this, and I'll have to say it again. Hear me carefully. I think some of our beliefs might need to be deconstructed. I think some of our beliefs might need to be deconstructed. And what I mean when I say that is is maybe we should assess our rhythms and our values and our convictions because business as usual is probably running its course for you, is it not? It's why you might be bored. It's why you might be lonely. I mean, the pandemic at least has had us all asking how necessary community is. Because again, preaching can be streamed, can be broadcast. 
Friends, we have an opportunity this year. We can re-examine what is valuable to us and what holds us together. We can do this, honestly. What your parents taught you might need to be re-examined. Not because they were wrong. They might have been right. But because you've never been a Berean about it. You don't know how to explain it. You don't even know the reason for the hope that you have. Because it's been a borrowed faith. A shallower faith. And if the Bereans were able to second look at Paul's teachings, Paul, then your 23-year-old youth pastor, his stuff is up for grabs, right? It's time to re-examine. So I say we turn up the heat on what God is saying in his Bible about his strategy for a dying world. Let's look at it. Do you really believe it? Really believe it? Do you really believe it? Like the Bereans, let's examine the source code of God's word. Let's ask some hard questions and maybe not settle for surfacey answers. Because I'm confident God can handle our hard questions. Very confident. Because let's face it, stuffing down the hard questions that haunt us, <laughs> that is not authentic. It's not. It's not honest either. It's not necessary either. It's very healthy to stand back, look at your life and say, why am I doing all of this? Why is this valuable thing valuable? Why? Why am I shooting for the goals I'm shooting for? Why am I hunting down the things I'm hunting for? What is the goal of my life? I think some of our balloons need to be popped. I think some traditions probably should be redefined. Now here's the caution. You can see how, how tough this could be. Deconstructing traditional beliefs is dangerous when you're not landing at a better place. That's when it's dangerous. Many I know are deconstructing into nothingness. I don't think that's very brave. I think it's probably more lazy. Deconstruction only makes sense when reconstruction is attached to it, tethered to it. I'm un Listen, if you're unsatisfied with Christianity's answers to your biggest questions, ask yourself, does a life away from God answer those questions suddenly? When, whenever I deconstructed in my early 20s and left the church, it's because I felt like the church made no sense. It didn't make any sense for me. The guy up on stage, nice guy, not really answering all the questions I was carrying around with me. I was bored. I felt like the church was full of judgmental hypocrites, failed to answer all of my biggest questions, and yet the life that I escaped into, it was made even less sense, it was even more boring, even more lonely, had even less meaning, carried less significance. I was the hypocrite. I was the one that was a hypocrite. So my challenge is to revisit historical Christianity, to build something stronger that can hold the weight of a vibrant life, that can hold the weight of our, of our lives of suffering and victory all at the same time. I want us all to deconstruct from counterfeit community, to deconstruct from counterfeit mission counterfeit church and maybe land in a better place. Land in a place where we are leaning forward instead as a church. See, Luke is writing to a guy here in Theophilus looking for certainty, looking for confidence and thinks he has already been taught. We need this too. Because we've got a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do. And it, interestingly, in the book of Acts, this chronicles only a 30-year span of time. That's it. Not very long. When you consider that it was just a handful of guys and gals, just a handful of them, that turned into the most impactful force in human history that is still rocking the world. 
The Spirit of God literally turned the world upside down. Literally. And I'm getting that phrase from your Bible back to Acts 17 and verse 6. It says, and when they could not find them, these are the Thessalonians, by the way, they're pretty ticked because the church was disrupting their way of life. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason, this guy that was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. They got Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Interesting passage where society is dragging the church out and publicly declaring that work that the Holy Spirit is already doing all over the world that has now got a name for itself has come to their backyard and they're not all that excited about it. Interesting passage. Man, here's the thing. No person who is fine just doing business as usual, no person who's just living a safe and forgettable life, no person who is not with eagerness receiving the word or examining the word or asking hard questions, that person's never going to turn a world upside down. They can't even turn their own life upside down, right? Big question for you. What can the next 30 years look like for you? Because this book is still being written when it comes to the book of Acts. It abruptly ends in chapter 28. It abruptly ends. That is a tell. It's to communicate that the Holy Spirit is still stitching people together in this beautiful thing called the gospel where the church is built. We love that. That's one of the things that, that is our biggest cornerstone pieces. We're in a network called Acts 29. There is no 29th chapter of the book of Acts. I don't know if you knew that. It is to symbolize the moving forward of what the Holy Spirit is doing. What can the next 30 years look like for you personally, your family, your neighborhood, this city. Listen, I have no idea what it looks like to flip Knoxville over. I got some crazy ideas that I'd love to see. Some crazy things, newsworthy things that I would love to see. But this is one thing I do know. It will be a church that's leaning forward that pulls it off. It'll be a church that leans forward that turns the world upside down. And I know for 94 weeks now, 94 weeks the American church has largely been on its heels because of a virus. Don't let this be a traditional year of business as usual for you. Don't let 2022 just become business as usual. We've got a world to flip over. Starting with you. Starting with you. I mean, when you look at this story, your Jesus is so good at turning a heart upside over as well. I mean, before, before Jesus began to revolutionize Thessalonica, he did it in Jason's heart first. Jason was revolutionized before the city was. I mean, before the Holy Spirit found Thessalonica and did this solid work, they were just walking around, just doing business as usual. They're talking about the bad refing in the, in the bowl game. They're, they're trading Bitcoin. They're looking for better work than what they had. They're trying to figure their marriage out. They're high-fiving the guys they hadn't seen since the holidays. That's just normal life for them. And then when Jesus found them, everything changed. He lovingly overthrew Jason's heart of stone, reforming it and reconstructing it into a feeling heart. Into a feeling heart, one that can emote one that can catch the reality of his soul and what God has done to save it. 
And Jason would not be conformed to this world, but he would be transformed, as Paul says in Romans. And God says it even more clearly in Ezekiel. He says in the 36th chapter, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I know you know what this means. I know you know it does not mean that we are all born with a literal stone heart and then God does something and makes it flesh. We were all born with flesh hearts. But what he's talking about is that stone heart is one that can't feel. It can't be pricked. It can't be excited. Not over things that are substantial. Not over things that matter. It can't see eternity. When God visits, he does something new in us. We aren't who we were. Our life isn't to be what it used to be. I want you to consider that at one moment, if you were in fact in God's church, if you were a brother or sister in the Lord, to Jesus Christ himself, I want you to consider that your heart was deconstructed from stone and reconstructed into flesh. Consider that your life cannot be business as usual. It can't. You used to be dead. Now you're not. So when you're looking at your resolutions or your strategy for this new year, as you look at previous years full of broken attempts to change, broken resolutions, as you look at those things, I want you to do so through the prism of the gospel, which says that you are adored even if you can't keep one resolution, even if you can't make one substantial change in your life, even if you can't click out of business as usual. Jesus does not love a future version of you, 10.0, 11.0. He adores you as you are, the one who walked in here flirting with deconstruction yourself. Ashamed to ask hard questions because you feel like you're not allowed to. He loves the version of you that struggles, the version of you that hurts, that has doubts, the version of you that's not sure, the version of you that's scared. Whether you fail or succeed, it will be the gospel that holds you together because it is the good news of God for those of us who do our best and our worst. God's grace, his favor for mankind despite our best resolutions and our worst attempts. So your failed resolutions will not negate his impenetrable agreement and resolution with you. And yet, we are free to live lives that will turn up empires upside down with confidence and resolve and joy. This can be the greatest year you've ever lived. Look what God has done. Look what he is doing. Look what he has done. Just flip through the pages of Acts as you read it, as we go through it. Look what he has done. Jail breaks and shaking ground and new churches and martyrs. Look what he has done. He's still doing it. It's happening. He's turning a world upside down. He's building a church that is leaning forward. He has done it and he is doing it. So listen, I know that not everybody here, not everybody even watching, finds your heart as, as tightly wound for the things of God. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're like Jason. You find your, yourself like Jason before the gospel made its way to Thessalonica, going through the motions, 
just like last year, going through the motions like the year before that and like the year before that with the same broken goals and the same broken hopes and the same broken dreams, wondering why you do what you do, wondering what is going on. Is this it? You need to know that God is very good at deconstructing broken hearts and reforming them to enjoy him forever. And maybe this is you. Maybe this is you. My submission, my challenge, my hope is that you would turn from the strategy of being your own God and submit to the one who gives grace to rebels and gives favor to total failures. And something I say all the time is you're perfect for Jesus. You're perfect for Jesus. He's perfect for you. This can be the greatest year of your life. Doesn't mean it won't be the toughest year of your life. It might be the hardest year of your life. And it could be the greatest year of your life. And for the rest of us who are part of God's people, who are in the church, whether you're a legacy or not, don't we have a lot of work before us? So much opportunity. I'm anxious this year to lose big with you, to win big with you. So much opportunity, so much to celebrate, so much to reminisce over, so much growth for all of us. Can we, as a church, turn from sleepwalking through this year? Can we do this? Can we become known as a people who disturb and change the way society exists, as Jason was, as the church was? Can we look at our life and honestly say, why am I doing what I'm doing? What, what am I about? Can you be honest? Can you be authentic? Can you, can you stop borrowing the faith from people before you and bone down like a Berean and say, I want to know why I believe what I believe? Because if I believe it, it's going to change my life. It's going to mean putting some things down. It's going to mean picking some things up. It's going to mean saying goodbye to some things and saying hello to some things. It's going to change my life. Can we do this? What is it that's getting in the way of a riskier life? A life that's maybe long for the next world and short for this one. Friend, if you've not taken a serious audit of your life and your goals and your values and your traditions and your convictions, why not? Why not? I mean, just as I was talking about reading the Bible in a year, if that got exciting to you, why? Why is that exciting to you? If you were like, nope, no thanks, why? why? Why is church boring for you? Why are you not in a calm group? Why are you in a community group? Are you asking yourself why? And are you going to the Bible and then just testing the things that you hear? Becoming a Berean, developing what Theophilus was hungry for, which is a residing conviction a residing certainty that the things that he's already been taught are true. And if they're true, they're going to change his life forever. Listen, and we've got hope for tomorrow. There will be a day, friends, when this world is flipped over for good. It'll be, it'll be over. And there will be no more boredom, no more confusion, no more loneliness. No one will ever deconstruct again. We won't even have to examine the words that we hear because we will be receiving straight from the mouth of God himself. Until then, just like Theophilus, 
Let all of us gain confidence and certainty that Jesus is king. He is stitching his church together out of his love for us and the power of his blood, and we get to be a part of it. We get to be a part of it.